So, like I said, every week we try to bring in someone special, someone who has brought soul back. And, Tom, I'm really excited about this one. He's actually one of our biggest supporters, just like we are of his. And uh, he's been our friend for a while now uh, and, and a diehard R&B fan. Just like us, we have Bobby V. What's going on, Bobby? I'm good, man. How y'all doing? Doing good, doing good. Doing good. So, Bobby, you've joined us on the podcast before, and we've talked extensively about you know, all things R&B, but we want to continue continue to do that. So I'm going to hit you with a question we like to ask all of our guests who join us on the podcast, and that is, um, what's one album that impacted you growing up or, you know, as you were progressing with your career, what's one R&B album that stands out to you? I mean, that's a hard, that's a hard <laughs> choice. I mean, because it's like, I was just, I was riding my bike today and and I was singing D'Angelo's first album. Um, I think that dropped mm. probably about 95, 96. And that album really impacted me. But even before that, I would have to say like a baby face for the cool in you. You know, that album, I was like a kid kid. But that was probably one of the first R&B albums I purchased where I had the tape of that. And um, I remember my mom used to play a lot of baby face and the Osley Brothers and a lot of Nita Baker. I love Anita Baker too. Uh, I mean, I loved H Town and loved Joe. Um, those are like some of the people like that I really kind of um, learned how to sing from. So I listened to mm-hmm. a lot of these artists and I kind of um, took a piece of all of them and kind of made it my own. You know, I got a lot of falsetto sauce from from D'Angelo and. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of things from Babyface and R.I.P. to Dino and H Town and Joe. Like those are guys I constantly listened to growing up and got a lot of um, um, and, and was very inspired from those people mostly. So, Bobby, I I love to hear you mention D'Angelo's first album because that's that's one of my favorites too. Obviously, one of the most influential R&B albums of the '90s. That whole neo soul sound. But man, something we always debate. D'Angelo's second album, Voodoo. What did you think about mm-hmm. that one? Once I, I had to get into Voodoo. Um, Voodoo mm. wasn't like an instant album that I liked. Like, yeah. Like I had to understand. I had to understand Voodoo. But once I listened to it and really like just rolled to it, I started to really appreciate and love it. The first D'Angelo mm. album, it was like an immediate oh, every song like wow. Yeah. The Voodoo, I had to really get into it because it was more of like a live album. And he kind of, I think it was like he wanted to make the first album like that. But the first album was more like it was live, but it was still like programmed live. The Voodoo album was a straight up live album that was just like you really had to get into it. It was almost like a live performance. So um, once I really got into it. Once I really got into it, I appreciated it more than when I first listened. Because when I first listened, I was skipping a lot of records. Of course, there were some great ones like How Do You Feel and and the single songs. But once I really just was like, you know what, let me me really listen to this, like as a musician. Because that's a musician's album. That's not really a, a consumer's album. Consumer has to get into the album. A, a musician has to sit and listen and kind of 
pick it apart and appreciate it for the musicianship of it. Right. 100% right. agree. Yeah. yeah. But Bobby, it's funny. And Tom, you know, Bobby was mentioning he actually went and listened to the Voodoo album multiple times, tried to get into it. I'm telling you, if if he put out that album in 2019 with attention spans the way they are, people would have oh, listened man. to that album once and threw it off. <laughs> threw it out. No, man. They would have they frisbeed that in today's world. <laughs> today's, today's music is just like, it's instantaneous people... First of all, it's a million. Everybody is an artist now. So you have to compete with the whole world because everybody has a has a voice. Everybody, Anybody can put auto-tune, um, and anybody can just make a record now. So the attention span for people now is almost like you have to think of the most clever, dumbest thing possible. Mm. It has to be clever now, but it also has to be a little dumbed down for it to really, to me, to resonate. Now, there are those artists that break through the cracks, uh, you know, like a Her or a Daniel Caesar or certain artists like that that are blessed enough to hit people with that real, real soul and just really do them. But that, that also takes a label that believes in you, a label that's going to put the right money behind you to take you to that level. And most labels don't want to do that. They want you to do all the work, and then they'll jump in on the back end. Right. It's interesting to hear you speak like this because you're taking us right where we want to go. You know, we always see you from time to time jumping in on our Instagram comments, chiming in about certain things about R&B and just speaking freely about the place it's in. And when we're disgruntled, you know, you chime in sometimes. We like to see that, and we like to see that you uphold R&B where it came from and celebrate where it came from and don't stand for where it's at now. So you're chiming right in on what we were thinking about. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, where it's at now is, to me, where R&B is. I really don't think it's in a good place because now there are artists that are doing it. <clears throat> and I sign artists, and I have a label, a Veltri Music Group, where I'm signing artists. But it's like when people send me somebody that's really, really singing and they sound amazing and they're awesome. And I'm like, oh, my God, I feel that. I'm like, OK, now what radio station is going to play her song or his song? Because it's tough. You know, it's like yeah. if you're a real singer, if you're a real singer or like a real musician or a real artist, you're not really appreciated. And don't get me wrong. I don't listen to a lot of rap, but the rappers, they get up. And they'll just jump around the stage and, and hoop and holler. And people will go crazy. Oh, my gosh, their show was amazing. Oh, my goodness. A R&B artist will get up there, play the guitar, keys, sing their lungs out. And they're not going to get the same praise as the rappers. And I'm not hating on rap. I'm just showing where the listeners and the consumers are now and where music is. And to me, that really that really hurts as an artist and as somebody that really goes out and really sings and really goes hard on the stage. It's kind of hard because, you know, I was on the tour with the rappers and stuff, and people would be like, oh, my gosh, they had the best show, where, you know, the R&B cats would get up and dance and sing and play instruments and, you know, really go in, and they don't get the same praise um, you know, as somebody that's going to get up and, you know, just super turn up, you know. So that's kind of where right. it is right now. 
Right. It's cool too, Bobby, because, uh, and, and you're 100% correct, and I think one of the other issues with um, today in R&B is just, you know, I was speaking to um, your boy Courtney when uh, we were talking about Khalid, and he made an interesting point. He said, you know, in 2019, Khalid is considered an R&B artist, but back in the day, no one would look at him as such, which leads to the question, you know, what is R&B in 2019? And um, you know, when you look at an artist like Khalid, how do you place him in this genre of R&B? Do you view him as R&B? I think he's R&B with a twist. Um, I think his music is definitely R&B, but I think R&B kind of is a, it's an overall, it's, 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 I don't know because I don't know what where to put him. I would put him... Uh, he's more R&B pop to me, you know, um, right. even though he makes R&B records. To me, his records are R&B, but I think he's 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 surpassed R&B. Like, I think when you get to a certain level, you surpass the genre of music that you initially are in. It's almost like Jay-Z is rap pop, you know what I'm saying? Because pop is just popular music. So whatever genre you're doing, once once you almost surpass, like Khalid has surpassed R&B, even though he does R&B music, he's an R&B artist, but with a pop feel. You know what I'm saying? He makes he even makes soul music. Some of his music is soulful. But I feel like he kind of has surpassed, because to me, R&B music is almost like a cap, which is unfortunate. It's a it's a cap on R and B music. Um, even though it crosses the genre lines sometimes, it doesn't really cross the lines like rap does. Because I think R and B is more soulful and you have to have a soul and a lot of people don't have that soul within them to enjoy the R and B element. It's it's kinda it's almost unexplainable in a sense, but um yeah, I think Khalid is he's R and B, but he's more on the pop side. Yeah, uh, Tom, it's funny because your definition of R and B and Bobby Tom has said this on numerous occasions. If it doesn't sound like Charlie Wilson, it's not R and B. And that's and to well, me, that's, that's, that's kind of true. I mean, and and that's why I really can't put Khalid all the way R and B like that because I feel like. He'll go there, but he's not gonna go all the way there. You know what I'm saying? It, it's like, it's like you'll be wanting as an R&B singer. Now you'll want him to, oh please, please go hit this note right here. That's gonna make, that's gonna really touch me. Mm. And he'll just kind of, you know, mellow it out. Which he's an awesome artist, and I'm proud of Courtney for finding him, and and I'm I'm, I'm so proud of Khalid's success. He's very successful. And he's where a lot of artists want to be, like even myself as an artist. I want to be at the level that he's at, you know. Um, But I think that when you're uh, at a certain soulful level, even like let's use Tank for an example. Tank is an awesome artist. He's a real R&B artist to me. So it's almost like a Tank, he may not ever get to the Khalid level. Me, I'm an awesome R&B artist. I may never get to the Khalid level. You know, Charlie Wilson, he's not going to get to the Khalid level um, because I think that it's a level of soul that if you have this certain level of soul, 
it's kind of hard to really go to that level that crosses the lines and really, really crosses the genre. Of course, there is um, a, a, an exception to every rule to where there are white people or mixed people or whoever that like R&B music. But when I speak of really crossing the lines, I, I speak of really, really crossing the lines like Khalid has. He's crossed the lines to where his shows is 90% white people there. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? As where a tank will do a show and there'll be 5% white people there. Or mm-hmm. Charlie Wilson will do a show and it'll be 4 or 5% white people. If that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. So I think that that's kind of the level of, you know, of, of where R&B is. Now, if you're blessed enough to... It's almost like if you want to go to that level, though, you can't be that soulful. You can't be very, very soulful because it's right. almost like you have to be in order to enjoy and, and, and really, uh, like we sitting here talking about D'Angelo first album and Babyface and stuff like that, you know. They, Babyface, I don't think he reached that level to even cross the genres. Now, he wrote records across the genres for like boys to men and you know other artists that Tony Braxton's maybe that that crossed the lines but for him as as an individual artist he never really I don't think he crossed those lines like the Khalid did you know so really Khalid is kind of really he really has kind of set he's really um taking R&B to another level because um, I'm trying to think of another artist. Can you guys think of another artist that has that does R&B music like that, that has crossed the lines to where their shows will be 90% white people? It's uh, it's definitely a rarity, you know. It's, yeah. So, so that's yeah, what, I can't think that's of what I mean. It's like it's almost like a it's almost like you have to make the music a certain way in order for other race the other two mm-hmm. to uh really to grasp it really to, to right. feel it you know right because sometimes if you go too so if you go too soulful a lot of people are not going to be able to understand that right yeah i mean it's uh it's, it's an interesting phenomenon for certain to lead and um you know you mentioned trying to reach the heights he's at you know, Bobby, what's interesting is that you reached heights this year that a lot of artists want to be at, and that was being part of the Millennium Tour, which we oh, were raving man. about. We were raving yeah. about that for months. Not only yeah. how how much it sold out, how many shows you guys did, but, man, just the caliber of shows you were putting on and, and the oh, yeah. guests you guys were bringing out. It was just like the most epic tour we had seen in a while, man. Just, just yeah. take us back, man, about that whole experience. Man, that experience was amazing because, you know, I was on the screen tour um, back in 05, and throughout my life, I've always, I, I went on another tour, um, like 010, 2010, with um, Carrie Hilson, Keisha Cole, uh, and The Dream. And no tour was like the screen tour, but this Millennium Tour was, was bigger, was bigger than the screen tour for me and even just where I was at in my life, you know, as a musician, 
um, especially R&B singer, man, it's a series of highs and lows, you know. And and that's probably with whoever in life, with whatever job you do. It's a, it's a series of highs and lows. And, you know, at the time, um, I was probably in a low place. Um, I wasn't... Mm. I wasn't in a good place. And then when they announced the tour and they announced that I was on the tour, I was, I, I didn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe it. Mm. And I want to shout out to my manager at Melinda, Melinda Santiago for, you know, really making things happen and continuing to make things happen for me. But I was really at a low place. A lot of people don't know when I'm in a low place because I'm, I'm still happy because I have my family, my mom, my dad, my sister, I have a daughter, um, and you know, and I still, I'm not, I, I never really get myself too low or too high, regardless of what's going on in my life. Uh, my dad caught, my dad always taught me that don't go too high and don't go too low because, you know, you just, regardless of where you're at in your life. So me, um, honestly, I was in a low place, but I wasn't in a low place, but I wasn't in a, in a feel good place like I am mm-hmm. now. You know, um, so when they announced the tour, I, I have a um, I have a beachfront property, and this year, I, the New Year's, I actually spent it at this property um, all by myself. I brought the New Year in this year um, all by myself. I was just praying because I believe in you know like the water and the power of God and all of these other things I believe in. So I really spent about a week at my beach crib and. I was by myself. Um, I didn't want to be around anybody. I just wanted to bring the new year in. And then we got the announcement that I was on the tour. And I was just like, wow, this is unbelievable. I don't really mm. believe this until until the first day. And I, did, yeah. and I didn't believe it until I got the first, even when I got the first deposit in my account, I still didn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't believe it until we actually it, man, I'm telling you, I didn't believe it until we walked. I, I remember, I'll never forget this night. I walked in, and I remember walking in to go do a sound check for the first show. I think it was in Pittsburgh, and I remember Lloyd walked in like right behind me, and I was just like, "Oh yeah, we're official now. This is official tissue." <laughs> so I was like, you know, the tour really did a lot for my career. Um, it did a lot for me, uh, for my soul. Um, it did a lot for my morale. Um, and it did a lot for just, you know, me feeling good again about myself. You know, um, I had some trying times, um, you know, before that, like a year prior, 2017. And, and um, a little bit of 2018 was you know, probably the lowest points that I've been in my life. So for me to end 2018 uh, announcing that I was going on tour and a major tour at that, we did probably like 41 or 45 dates, which was Mm. bigger than the screen tour. And the screen tour was probably like a month. This tour or the screen tour was maybe a month, month and a half. This tour was probably three months. Like we started in March, April, May, ended in June and, and then did a final show at the OVO Fest. So, I mean, what the tour did was just open up a lot of new doors for me. Um, it got a lot of people to see um, 
that I play keys, that I've been, you know, really perfecting my craft. And I really went in on the show, and every night I really gave it my all like it was my last show. And every time I perform, um, that's what I plan on doing. And, you know, even though I was early on in the show, it just really boosted my morale and really just took me to a new height and to a new level. And, you know, I'm so thankful for that opportunity. Man, amazing. That's dope. That's dope. Now, Bobby, quick question. How many white people were at that concert? What's the percentage? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The percentages was very low. It might have been wow. two to five percent. Wow. But we sold out, but we sold out almost out of 45 days. We probably sold out 40 dates. So, you know, that was that was real good. Um, just for R&B, that was good. You yeah, know, so. Right. Um, yeah, but, you know, like I said, these most of the artists that's on there were soulful artists. Like Mario is like an awesome singer. Like Mario is like probably one of the best singers that I've heard. You know, um, he really sings very well and he gives a good show. And, you know, um, it's a lot of good people um, that were on that, on that tour, man. And, you know, it was just awesome, man. I had a great time and, I was actually thinking about that tour today. Like, man, I wish we could do that every year. We were just hoping you guys inspired others to do it. And, um, you know, especially my boy Kyle on here. Kyle, you grew up during that era. So what was your favorite part about growing up during the millennium era with all those artists? Man, it was it was dope. It was it was like the combination of the songwriting, production, and the vocals. It was like the whole package. And, you know, Bobby, we all have our favorite eras. I mean, Tom grew up during that Drew Hill, Jagged Edge, and 112 era. Mm-hmm. And you, know, yep. you spoke on yourself. I think you're like from that Boys to Men and Jodeci era. Yeah. And, well, and, my, and group, my group was from that era when I was in the group, Mr. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But, I, can't, and, I, can't, I, I think I hit a lot of... I've I've been in I've been blessed enough to be in a game to hit all a lot of um times, like the nineties. Yep. I got a chance to see Jagged Edge of one twelve and then, you know, my first single came out in oh five. So, you know, I was blessed enough to get a chance to see like Outcast and Goody Mob and be around all of that stuff. So I didn't mean to cut you off, my father. No. <laughs> no, I was going to say it was just so much great music that came out of that era. And, you know, I just want to touch on this just so, you know, we can highlight his work. But LaShawn Daniels, of course, passed away recently, mm-hmm. and he worked with you on a couple of records, Turn the Page being the most notable. Um, just talk about mm-hmm. working with him. Man, he's such an awesome singer, man. That guy, like... <laughs> I remember recording Turn the Page, and that's a high song. That song is like the key that I'm in is is extra high. And I remember trying to sing it, and LaShawn was just singing it effortlessly, and he wanted me to sing it just like him. I was like, man, hold on, man. I got to punch. I got to punch that. I can't sing that like you, man. So I, I just remember being in the studio with him and how soulful he is and how much of an awesome writer he was, man. Just like him and Rodney Jerkins when they would work together, man, it was it was magic. So when we did turn the page, it was it was magic. And um, 
just sad that, you know, he had to die. But we all going to die at some yeah. point. It's inevitable. Yeah. So we you just don't know when it's going to happen. It could be from a car accident. It can be from <laughs> you diving in the wrong piece of cootie cat. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, you just don't want it to happen so soon. And it was just sad. Yeah. And he died at that age. Of, I think he was like 41, 42 or something like that. And that's pretty young. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was really sad. Yeah. Bobby, let me ask you this, though. A little earlier, you spoke about being at a low recently in your career and in your life a few years ago. I was mm-hmm. thinking back to when you were part of your group, Mr. In the, in the 90s, and then it didn't work right. out. And it took some right. time before you got back into music on, on the major scene, you know, put your right. debut solo album out. Was there ever a time in between there where you considered giving up or not continuing with music? Was it, did it ever come to that? Well, not at not at that time because I was still young. Um, yeah, and I feel like I felt like man, I still got a lot in me, and I knew I was hot. I knew I had a good look, you know. Um, I just really at that time I wanted to enjoy regular life though, um, because from the age of about thirteen, twelve, thirteen to you know, Mister actually popping off, which I was about fifteen. Um, we had a tutor. We were kind of sheltered. We were just in the studio, and we was just around kind of like the same people. It was just us, the group, had a tutor, and I didn't get to enjoy, like, being a teenager for real. So when Mr. When Mr. Dismantled, I told my mom, I said, you know what? I don't want a tutor no more. That's boring. Like, And, and life was kind of boring. It was just like... Because all we would do is just go do shows on the weekends and, you know, um, and that's it. And we would go to the tutor all week. And the tutor was boring. And then I had friends that were in school. They were going to proms and dances and playing sports. And I'm very athletic, so I want to play sports. And after a while, I remember that last year um, when I saw that Mr. wasn't going to really be doing another album. or We kind of we lost our deal with Electra. East West Electra, um, I was just like, Mom, I want to go to regular school. I want to just go, I want to go back to my high school that I, you know, because I went ninth grade, but then I left ninth grade early because we were traveling, we put the song out, and we were moving around. And then, you know, um, that lasted ninth, tenth, and eleventh grade. So I missed those years pretty much of, of high school. So 12th grade, I wanted to go back. And, um, so I went back and, you know, I played sports, played baseball, played football. Um, I didn't make the basketball team because I wasn't tall enough. And, you know, high school basketball mm-hmm. was like the real deal. Mm-hmm. But I did get a chance to play baseball. I got a chance to go to the prom. I got a chance to do all the things that I really kind of missed out on, and which was perfect for my life. And then after that, I went to college and, went to Clark Atlanta University and throughout all of that, you know, I was still working on on music, <clears throat> but I wanted to get my degree though. And my parents made sure that I got my degree so that I could, you know, make sure I had something to fall back on and, you know, so I could really, you know, because you know how the industry is. You you just don't ever know. And I remember getting my first deal with, uh, with noontime 
at the time. Noontime, they had a hot producer, Teddy Bishop. They had mm-hmm. Jazzy Faye at the time. Um, they had Sierra. And I remember signing with, with Noonie Lee, who was like uh, Sierra's manager at the time. And um, and that was, I, I, I felt good because they put a little money in my pocket. I was in college and it was like all cool. And then I was working with top-notch producer, Teddy Bishop. He did uh, like Just Be a Man About It. He did the Lil record. Um, and he had some hit records. So I started to work with him and, you know, that's when I kind of felt like I was on my way. And that's when I kind of broke apart from the group because I was initially writing songs for the group, but nobody would really come to the studio. So I was just going and I was recording the whole song. And then I was just like, you know what, let me just do this solo thing. So Mm -hmm. I would go to the studio every night, every day in college, every night. And I'd be in there till like, three, four in the morning. And I remember the studio was a long ways from my parents' house. But I used to ride out there and they they would always wonder, why you come home so late? What are you doing? Like, And I would just come home. It would be four in the morning. Sometimes my dad would be waiting up for me to make sure I wasn't on drugs and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. But I'm <laughs> like, man, I'm out here grinding. And, you know, the grind really paid off. You know, a lot of people think that they can just go to the studio one day or for for a week or so, and it's just gonna pop off. But they don't know what goes on and go what's behind the scenes. You know, it takes a lot. It takes you going to the studio every day to create a chemistry, to create a bond, to really find yourself. You know, and a lot of people don't don't see that or get that. They think, oh, I'm going to just go here, work with this producer. I'm going to go here, work with that producer. I'm going to go here every now and then and think that it's going to happen for them. And that's not really how it really works. Sometimes it does. Like I say, there's an exception to every rule. But for me, it was a continuation of, of constantly going to the studio and constantly making songs and constantly working with different producers, but not but really locking in with producers like, okay, I'm going to go work with this producer for four months. You know what I'm saying? Cause a lot of times that chemistry comes from y'all. Y'all might not even be making no music. Y'all might be sitting listening to music. Y'all might be going to get some food. Y'all might be, you know, that's really where the chemistry arises from. It doesn't really come from just, Oh, I got a song come record it. You know, a lot of times you got to sit down with people and be around them. They got to understand you. You got to understand them. And the best work comes that way. Mm, nice. So, so Bobby, we're almost out of time here, but just two more questions for, for you here. And we love hearing, you know, the origin and your history because we just spoke to Bob Robinson on the podcast oh, probably about two yeah. weeks ago. And we're super close with Tim Kelly as well. And you three, yeah. you guys have such a dynamic chemistry when you guys all work together i know yeah. tim's doing his own thing now bob's doing his own thing what's the difference when you work with tim versus when you work with bob um i haven't worked with bob individually so i don't i, I really oh. can't you know i've only worked with tim and um you know working with tim our chemistry is crazy crazy uh, yeah. i lived with tim before i came out tim tim brought me into his home i was I went out to L.A. with a dream. You know, I didn't have nothing. My parents was like, you done graduated from school. What you going to do? You need to get a job. And I'm like, oh, man. So my guy, Poon Daddy, um, who's Ludacris' right-hand partner, 
you know, he took me on his wing and took me out of L.A., but he didn't really have nothing at the time either. So I was just kind of living like a nomad in L.A. trying to figure it out. I was living in the hood. I was living at different chicks' crib. I was just out there on the grind, living in and out of different <laughs> hotels. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that, that grind that it takes. You know, it takes you to be uncomfortable to to get to where you want to be. And that was a very uncomfortable time for me, too, because I really come from um, I come from a good family that has everything. So it's not like I really, you know, I went from that to living like a nomad. Mm-hmm. And it really worked out. But I, rem- I always remember Tim was like, hey, man, you know where you staying at? I was like, no. <laughs> was like, man, you in the jungles, man. You know what the jungle is? You in the hood, bro. Man, come to my crib. And so I went and stayed at Tim Crib, and I think that that's how we got that chemistry to make the slowdowns and the tell me's and to really create that first album that came because I was living with him. I lived with him for almost like a year. And, you know, at the mm. time he had this beautiful home. He had this nice big home out in um, um, Topanga Canyon with the nice pool in the back. And that was a fun time, too. Once he took me in, it was a lot more fun than me being a nomad out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was um that was cool because I got a chance to live in a mansion in LA and you know Tim would, we would go out we would go to the strip clubs and he we would just be out all day and then we'd go to the studio and then he'd come home and he'd create he he used to do the beats on the floor at his crib he didn't even have like a chair he had all his equipment just on the floor. He just lay on the floor, me and him just listen to samples, like, yo, you like this one? Yo, check this out, I did. Sometimes I'd be sleeping. He'd just be up doing beats. And, um, you know, that was a great time for me. You know, you always remember the grind, and that was part right. of the grind, and it, and it paid off. Nice. So, Bobby, you know, last question for you, and appreciate you for joining us and sharing the history. And I do want to mention uh, the, the one thing, and for those who haven't had a chance, to listen to uh, our, our interview with Bob Robinson. He just talked about that that record slowdown and how it just blew up in L.A. before it even yeah. hit the mainstream, and it was buzzing in L.A., so definitely want everyone to check that out. But, Bobby, let's let's go, uh, let's go bring it up to date with what you're currently working on. Of course, you dropped Electric, um, and now you're working on some more new music. Just tell us what you're up to. Yeah, I'm dropping a new single. Um, I have a deal with SRG. Uh, label through Universal Records. So I'm dropping a new single on the 27th. It's called Everybody. And, you know, it's a very, it's an up-tempo kind of song. Um, kind of a hot, you know, um, kind of a up-to-date R&B record. I'm still singing, but I think the music is still more updated. Um, I still have that live instrumentation in there that makes it that brings it back to that real Bobby V. But this record to me is kind of like my beat beat record. It's like, a, mm. you know, kind of more fun, um, more of a feel good song. And it's just talking about, you know, being in relationships and stuff. Um, everybody goes through it, whether you married or whether you just dating or whatever you may be doing, you just want to know um, if that person texting you good morning or is they texting good morning to everybody, you know, and that's basically what the song is talking about. Um, I plan on dropping the album next year, Valentine's Day, and the album is called Sunday Dinner. And I named it Sunday Dinner. Um, actually, my sister came up with the name, and I totally agreed with it because, you know, on Sundays, me and my family get together, 
Um, a lot of my friends come over and we just have real conversations, whether it's about uh, whether it's about CNN, what's going on with Donald Trump, or whether it's about, you know, um, relationships, love and relationships, or who you dating or what's going on. So I feel like the album um, is a compilation of things that happen at Sunday dinner. And, you know, I get a lot of my love, my joy, my peace, um, a lot of my uh, foundation from Sunday dinner and seeing my family, seeing my friends. So that'll be the newest installment of Bobby Z. And like I said, the first song that I'm dropping is everybody. Hopefully everybody will really pop off. Um, but I do have some more R&B records that will, you know, really be uh, more and more R&B. Everybody is kind of a mainstream. I look at it as a mainstream versus a adult contemporary R&B record, which the label, they really want me to drop an adult contemporary record, but I don't feel, I, I want to feel good. I want people to be able to dance. I want people to be able to, to move. And I just like records that move more than I really like slow records. I like slow records for the album. They're awesome. But people want to dance and move in today's world. And I want to give them that music. I want to give them some feel-good music. Like most of my singles are songs that you can really like dance to. And that's why they play them in the club. You know, like Turn the Page, you're not going to really hear that in the club. It was a great record. But, you know, I like records that people can move and, like, that make women feel sexy to it. And I think that that's where everybody is. So everybody will be out on the 27th. It'll be on everything, Spotify, everything. It'll be on Apple Music, um, Tidal, wherever you find music, it's everywhere. Dope. Bobby? Appreciate you for joining us on the podcast. And you're right, you've got you've got versatility. You've got the records that are mainstream, but then Tom, he's also got Peach Moon. So let's give a shout out one time for the Peach Moon project. <laughs> I yeah, love man. Peach Moon, man. Peach, I love Peach that project. Moon. But but you, you see you see Peach Moon, it got dusted in the wind, you know, because it was like a real R and B, real soulful. You know, a lot of people don't get soul. You know, I noticed, you know, I got soul. A lot of people don't got soul. <laughs> so a lot of people don't. 100%. A lot of people can't understand, and that's where the disconnection comes. That's when you go, uh, you know, either you're doing a pop record or you're doing an R&B record. See, it's like pop records. You don't really push the limits. You know, you just kind of keep it very sing-alongy, and, which is nothing wrong with that. But you keep them sing along, but see, like R&B soul music, that's when the runs and the, the ooh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that's when all of that comes in, and, and a lot of people don't have that. So that's the special thing about R&B, because that select few of people or percentage of people that, that have that soul, R&B is going to make them cry. It can make you laugh. It can make you right. feel different than any other genre of music. And that's the one thing that I do love about R&B. It can make you, you if it's the right track and they're doing what they're supposed to do on it, you're going to cry internally mm -hmm. or externally. And that's what a lot of the other genres of music, they really can't make you do that. And that's why I really right. love R&B music. Bobby, you gave us a great starting point for our next uh, 
for the next time we interview you, man. We got a lot more to discuss, you know, oh, yeah. about everything R&B. So, but oh, once man. again, man, we really appreciate you taking the time out. You always got our support. We're looking forward to hearing the new album, the new single, man. Just yeah, man. Doing it for R&B, man. I can't wait till y'all hear to everybody because you guys are gonna love. I know y'all been hearing a couple snippets on the uh, Instagram, but it's gonna right. be, it's definitely gonna be a fun that you're gonna be able to jam. I, I describe everybody as like a 2020 Jodeci record. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got to hear this. So was, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited for the people to hear it, you know, whether it goes platinum or plastic. It's still mm. good. To me, I don't, I can't, I'm not making music to go platinum. I'm making music for the people that love good music, love, like, chord progressions and, you know, um, something that's going to touch your soul, you know. Right. And that's who I make the music for. And if it does very well, thank you, God. If it mm-hmm. touches the lives of a thousand people, thank you, God. You know, I do music because I love to do it. I don't do it because I want to make some money off of it. And I think that that's where a lot of people get the game twisted. They do songs to make a hit record. And, and and it doesn't always resonate. It doesn't come across the right way. Nobody's going to really feel it. If you do music that you feel and that you love, eventually folks is going to come around to it. But if right. you're making songs to make a hit record, it's you may make a hit record, but that'll be the, that'll be it. There's no connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to 100%. me, nine times out of ten, to make a hit record, it's not going to work because you're copying somebody else trying to make a song that's a hit right now. So you're trying to make a song just like that. So it doesn't really resonate because you first, you don't have an identity. You sound just like this one, which is what most people sound like with the auto tune. Everybody like, I don't, you guys can make a song. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't even sing. We can't. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And y'all don't even sing, but you can make a song. Right. And you can make, and what's even sad is you can make a song and people will be like, Oh my gosh, he's the best singer ever. Have you heard it? If they put the <laughs> money behind you. They put yep. the money behind you, people are gonna be like, Oh my goodness. They're the best. And then when somebody yeah. be like, Yo, they sound just like the other song then when you say that, you're really you're a hater. You sound like <laughs> Oh, you hate, yeah. you hate. Yeah. So it's just like I've gotten to the point to where now I just I don't even say nothing no more. I just say, oh, okay, you like that? Oh, cool. Well, that's cool. Because <laughs> when you don't oh, like man. when you don't like something that everybody likes, then you're a hater. Yeah, one hundred percent. So after a while, that's what you start sounding like. So it's just like better not even say nothing at all. Like you know what? <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> Oh, man. You, you're not wrong, though. But on that yeah, note, man. Bobby, we we must say goodbye. We thank you once again right. for coming through, as always. Yes, sir. And we'll yes, talk sir. to you again soon. I appreciate y'all, man. Thank y'all for Absolutely, y'all's support man. always, too. <laughs>